Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. your sporting life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have your company for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the sporting life of a gentleman who's made his mark in football, in cricket, and has guided the fortunes of some of the biggest names in the game in recent times. In fact, on my rundown, I have the line, arguably, the Jerry Maguire of <laughs> AFL. His name is Liam Pickering. Pickers, welcome. Yeah, good to be here, Pete. Uh, great to see you again. Uh, the Jerry Jerry Maguire of AFL. <laughs> My producer has put that on. You know him. Is he on the mark there? No, he's not on the mark at all. But uh, I just keep a low profile, Pete, and trying to uh, do the deals of a few AFL players I have over the last, what's that, 17 years now. So it's been good fun. We'll be talking about that, as yes. you very well know, a little bit later in the program. What about the off-season pickers? Because obviously clubs have to contract their players to get them on lists, and they're all finalised some time ago. What do you do? Is there an off-season for you? Well, not well. there is. I mean, I usually take January off because it's pretty quiet. The players are back into it by then. But all the way through till Christmas, the minute the grand final finishes, you pretty much go into draft, you know, draft camp, followed by trade period, free agency, then the draft, and that gets you through till Christmas because you've got your new players that you've picked up and they go into training mode and you've got to do their deals. Get to Christmas pretty much cooked because it's a long season, as you know, and then January, I, n- I tend to take most of January off, spend some time with the kids, get to reacquaint myself with the, with the little ones, yeah. and uh, and then we really get back into it. Once the games start, you know, clubs are all back because a lot of the clubs take January off as well, as in not so much the coaches and the players because they get back early January, but more so... Uh, the recruiting staff and the the list managers and those type of guys that we deal with. So, and then it's just on throughout the course of the whole year. Are you a bit like racehorse trainers in that their job is not only training the racehorses that they've got, but looking out for the next racehorses that they're going to have the yearling sales. So, are you one who is across all of the young talent coming up through the game? Yeah, you have to be in our game. Uh, there's something like 90 agents now, so it's a pretty competitive industry. All trying to to sign up the best kids in the country. We. We start tracking them when they're about 15. You go and watch them to 16 carnival. That gets you a good idea of what they're like at that age. Now, some kids go on and might have struggled at the 16s and become stars, but others might be real good players at 16, yeah, and, and then they just drop away. But So you sort of identify them early. Under 16 carnival is the first time. You aren't allowed to sign the players until... Uh, they're eligible for the draft. So next year's crew that are eligible for 2019 can officially sign with the manager after the pre-season draft or the rookie draft at the end of uh, end of this year, so no, end of November. We've all bought cars in the journey, and the car salesman will say, look, I'll give you a great deal. I'll give you the best deal, and I'll throw in the floor mats and all that sort of thing to get the deal over the line. What makes the difference in being able to sign a player? Is it especially a young player, is it to get the confidence of not only them but their parents as well? Yeah, that's the key. I mean, you've got to have the relationship that they think they can work with you. And I think because it's so competitive, look, there's none of the inducements to get on board. Well, there certainly shouldn't be. There's certainly part of the rules to not. So you can't promise players boots and tickets and all that sort of stuff, which did go on a little while ago. I think the industry's pretty pretty tight now. It's really about... From our perspective, is we see it more as trying to help guide the kids from a young age. Uh, obviously, they're paying you to do a deal, which is the best deal you can get because you're only at a limited amount of time. But really, it's it's more, I guess, from our end, is developing a relationship with the parents. And we tend not to go to the kids direct because most of these kids that are coming into the draft are in year 12, and you start looking at them in year 11. So the last thing they need are managers driving a mad direct. So develop a relationship with the parents when the parents think it's a good time to go and meet with an agent then you hope that you're on the list of players you've got to send out letters and all that sort of stuff so once you do that I think we've I feel like we've got an advantage because of the background of having been there um, you know and being there for a long time so I, I think that helps I mean there are other other agents I guess out there that 
um, that have played, like Adam, Adam Ramanaskis and uh, those type of players that have played at the top level. So, But it's certainly, an, I think it's an advantage to be with an agent that's actually been through what if these kids are going to go through. As you know, I do a lot of tennis when tennis comes around. You do. And there are a lot of ugly parents in tennis, and they've been well documented over the years. Is it the same with footy? Have you actually gone in? I know you won't name names, and I'm not asking you to, but have you gone in and thought, oh, boy, am I going to have some problems with the parents here? Yeah, yeah, you have. I have, absolutely, over the years. And there are some you just you speak to. You do a fair bit of background on the kids before you meet with them. And because you've got such a strong relationship with the recruiters and the list managers, they might say, this kid's a good player, but he's not for you. He's, he's too much. His dad's hard work or his mum's hard work or whatever. Um, there is that element. Oh, I don't think it's as... as relevant if you like in AFL um, as it is in probably those individual sports but you know if it is sometimes the parents uh, uh, you know they get a really active involvement and I don't have a problem with it you just got to understand where the boundaries are once the kids are on board that it's actually probably not bad in some cases for those parents to, to instead of going through the club and and handling the club they go through us and we can sort of filter it if you like so yeah you do get it but I don't think it's anywhere near as uh, you know as an issue, an issue in AFL footy as it is in other sports there's a tremendous amount of money in AFL football these days and wherever there is money comes competition and comes the cutthroat nature how do the as a collective how do the agents get on uh, pretty good, pretty good. I mean, it's competitive when you're trying to sign the players, but we have our conferences, one big conference a year, and we get together probably four or five times throughout the course of the year with the other agents. And, yeah, the ones that have been in a long time, you know, I've got a pretty strong relationship with competitors, but also respectful. Um, and there are, in my view, there are four or five standout mobs, which I hope we're one of them, uh, that I think do a really good job, and they're in it for the right reasons. They're in it for the long term. Uh, there are a lot of fly-by-nighters that come in and think it'd be great to have on their business card a credited agent and maybe manage one or two players, and that's fine too. But uh, you really need to have an understanding of the industry, and that's the only issue you have with the guys that have got a very small stable is they don't quite have the industry contacts and they don't quite know what players' values are outside of watching them as as fans. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest problem you can have. If you if you their clients, you develop great relationships with them, but you've got to understand their clients. At the end of the day, they expect you to do a job, and that's what you've got to do. The other thing that uh, happens when you have a lot of money involved is that eventually, regardless of what walk of life you're in, lawyers are going to become involved. And there have been a few times in your career where that's had to be the case. It's been a bit bumpy at times. Yeah, well, it's only been really the one time it's been an issue, I must say, and that was... After I left IMG after 10 years and then went into a, into a company uh, with a financial planner, it didn't work out. We ended up in court, which was a real pain, to be honest. And it was expensive and it was a, a lesson to be learnt that if you're going to go into business with someone, you've got to know all about them first. And I didn't hadn't obviously done the background that I should have done. Um, and my business partner and I had a toxic relationship. Uh, I couldn't get out of there quick enough, to be honest, and I worked it out pretty quickly, which was disappointing. But he came from a financial planning background and, and also was you know a real footy fan, so he didn't see my view of, you can't be a fan, you've got to be an, an agent, you've got to be a manager. And he wanted to, you know, nightclubs and all that sort of crap, and I didn't want to have a bar of it, to be honest. Do you think, Pickers, that that caused any damage to your reputation? Because regardless of whether the facts would indicate that you'd done the wrong thing or he'd done the wrong thing, you know what it's like, mud sticks sometimes. When you go through the courts, people make up their own minds about things. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. It's knocked us back a couple of years, I reckon, with recruiting kids, because firstly it happened and we did have to go to court which was ridiculous in itself and we couldn't have just settled it and moved on but uh, secondly is that the, the reporting of it from the Herald Sun was diabolical and it ended up in the press council and we won the we won the battle against the Herald Sun and the way it was covered because it was covered just one side and it was only parts of it were covered and everything that made me look bad which was which was I thought very ordinary of the newspaper hence why we took it further we took it to the press council and they agreed <laughs> made them write retractions and, and whatnot. So uh, they had to put their hand up. But I thought it was really, it was unfairly one-sided and, and very disappointing for the way it was reported, which means people read that. You know, and they go and they look up my name or whatever if you're doing any background checks, and that comes up, and it's it's wrong because, you know, there was, there was no balance to what was written. We left for a genuine reason. I couldn't work with this bloke. I, I couldn't work with him for a various number of reasons without going into them. Uh, but when you're your financial controller or a financial advisor and you don't get along and you don't trust the advice that's being given, you've got to make a decision. I had to make the decision, and James, who works with me, is terrific. We had to make the decision to do what's best for the players, and that was to remove them from that environment. So 
you're at loggerheads with the biggest newspaper in this city and in this country and a newspaper that covers football like no other, really, the amount of coverage that they give. Does that place you in a difficult position? Because clearly there would still be some lingering issues that would have come on from that disagreement that you had with them. Uh, possibly, but, I mean, I don't particularly care because, I, I mean, I, I did it for the, the principle of the matter of the way that was written, and it was really only against a couple of articles written by a friend of the ex-business partner, and that, that was never never tabled, and hence why we went to the press council, and hence why a group of independents found in favour of us because of the way it was poorly reported and unfairly reported. So loggerheads, I'm not at loggerheads with any of the people at, at the Herald Sun, apart from a couple that I just wouldn't cross the road to say hello to. Um, most of the journalists at the Herald Sun are terrific. You know, we work with Glenn McFarlane on a yeah. weekly basis on AFL Nation. He's a fantastic guy. Sam Edmund, these guys, they're good fellas. So I've got no issues with these guys, Johnny Anderson, those type of fellas. Mark Robinson, Michael Warner, uh, they chose to cover it the way they chose to cover it and backed by their paper, which I thought was really, really ordinary. Mike Sheen's been a guest on this program. When you're Chief Football Writer of the Herald Sun, you have a very powerful position in this city and in this sport. So with Robbo, what's your relationship like, given the fact that he does have the power of the pen? Uh, my relationship's non-existent with Mark Robinson, and he knows why, uh, and his paper knows why. And, you know, at the end of the day, Mike and I got a very strong relationship, and I had a lot of respect for Mike in, in the role that he did. You know, and I have a lot of respect for Caroline Wilson, the role she did at the, at the age as well, even though Caro and I have the odd blue, but that's only over business. Uh, Mark Robinson took it personally, uh, took it down the personal track, I thought, in the reporting of that whole court case and wrote articles that were deliberately aimed to, to, to cut me down and to cut down our business, and I just wasn't going to accept it. So that's why we went to the press council, and that's why we won. Uh, they agreed. So I don't need a relationship with Mark Robinson. No interest in Mark Robinson. I don't read what he writes. I couldn't care less, apart from when it splashed all over and it's about me. You know, if he wants to write about stuff in the Herald Sun, knock yourself out. If they want to have him as the chief football writer, good luck to them. But it doesn't mean that I'm going to be reading it or believing him. Let's change tack and take it back to where it all began, in the beautiful town of Stall. And I'm looking forward to being there again next weekend. Yes. Uh, as I have been for so many Easters. What a beautiful part of the it world. Is, it is. It is. And uh, I'll be with you, Pete. I'm coming up uh, at Easter as well because I love it. And um, got some great mates up in Stall. And Mum's still there. So I'll head home on the uh, Saturday after we've called the footy and and look forward to a big weekend up in Stall. It is a terrific weekend. It's a, it was a great town to grow up in and I love getting home when I can. What are your memories of the Stall gift as a young man? Because if you live in Stall or if you live anywhere near that area, the Stall gift is intrinsic to that area of the world. Yeah, it is. And my memories first, I guess, were when I was you know, selling the programs. And that's what we used to do. We, used to, we were young kids. We'd get the programs when they first come out and we'd go and sell them outside the pubs and we'd sell them wherever we could down at the track. Or me and my mates, and, and that's what we used to do. And, you know, it was a fa fantastic event. It still is. You do a great job calling it, as do Channel 10. So, look, I, I think, you know, it, it's been a big part of our life. Everyone in Stall that grows up in Stall, that is a massive part of our life was the Stall gift because it's the one time of the year where Stall becomes the one of the most important places in country Victoria. I'll just correct you one thing. Channel 10 used to do it. Channel 7 does it now. So you may not have done your job prospects any good there. No, that's okay. I'm not trying to get a job with either of them, to be perfectly honest. I've had my go at TV. That'll do me once. Hey, uh, so yeah, that's right. So sorry to Channel 7, but yeah, Rich Owen, you do an awesome job. And Melinda Gainsford-Taylor will be there, so we're looking forward to it. The one thing I love about Stall is when you walk in the gates on Easter Monday morning, those beautiful gates there. A week after that, I'm going to be at the Gold Coast doing the Commonwealth Games, and it's a state-of-the-art stadium at Carrara. You know it well. They've converted it. It's, it's modern. It's brilliant. But the step back in time when you go to the store gift is something that I just love. I tell people that haven't been to store... If you ever want to do yourself a favour and look at a fantastic sporting ground, go to Central Park. Because yeah. it is steeped in tradition. It's a brilliant game. It was a, that was our home footy ground. That was I played a lot of cricket there. It was. It is a magnificent ground. They've done such a brilliant... And, and it is. It's surrounded by beautiful trees. And it is a fabulous joint to go and, and, and watch sport. Not just athletics, because mm. we know how, what it's like. The, the place is alive around, uh, around Easter. But even during the footy season, watching the store boys play there and the cricket pitch, very short, straight... <laughs> So you, you could hit six straight, but yeah. it was always a bit of a dodgy wicket when I was growing up. But yeah, it's just it's a fabulous it's a fabulous ground. I'd love I'd love to see you know the AFL 
you know, the, obviously the AFL take JLT games all through the country and it doesn't work because of the stall gift and they've got to keep the ground yeah. hard and pristine for the running. But I tell you what, that would be one ground that I know they play TAC Cup games, you know, I know they play VFL games there occasionally. It is a wonderful ground. It would be a great ground for uh, a JLT game, but while the stall gift's there, it just won't happen. Do you reckon we'll see the day that we might see the likes of Stall or Bendigo because Ballarat's got AFL footy now. Do you think it may very well get to the day where we do see a game a year in one of those centres? Oh, I'd love to if it was Stall. I think it'd be just, it's probably the pick of the grounds in the world. Well, it is the pick of the grounds in the Wimmera. Uh, I, I don't think it'll happen. It is still a two and a quarter, two and a half hour drive from Melbourne. At Ballarat is a perfect spot because it's only an hour. It's a western, western side of Victoria. You've got the Bulldogs. It's a good fit. Uh, you'd need to do a lot of work to the ground. And I, to be honest, I don't want to see stands built there. I love yeah. the way it is. You know, with the, the old hill, wooden stand. The wooden stand's yeah. brilliant. You know, the hill there where everyone can stand if they want to watch the races. The distance running on the, on the Sunday is just outstanding fun. Uh, I wouldn't want to see it, but I'd love to see a game of footy there. One last thing about Stall before we take a break. I don't know, you talked about the view there. It's a beautiful view from Central Park. I don't know whether you can see the Stall Hospital from where you are. <laughs> Is it true that you nearly burnt down the Stall Hospital? Because <laughs> yeah. that's a part of folklore. Yeah, yeah, I did. Unfortunately, me and a mate of mine, we were mucking around as kids. You know, I was at my grandfather's house and his house, well, the hospital here was on the, at the back onto his house. And me and my mate, well, I won't say his name, let's just call him uncle. But uh, we were mucking around. We were playing, I don't know why, we were playing with plenty of matches. I don't know what we were thinking, but we were flicking matches at each other. And next thing... It got a bit big on us, as they say. And all of a sudden, uh, I had to run back to Pop's house. He tried to get the hose out. Well, that wasn't going to do it. It had got away from us then. And we then took off, as we do, kids, and ended up going up to the end. I lived in the same street as my grandparents. And it was at Gran's house. And I went up to the top of the hill there near my house. And I sat on the hit the swings and slides there with my mate and we watched the hill burn and we thought, oh, what have we done? Luckily, the Stall Fire Brigade, to their credit, got there and knocked it over, but uh, as he knocked the fire over. But that was a very scary thing and I, I know Gran and Pop weren't really that impressed with me for a, a few months, but to their credit, they didn't tell Mum and Dad, so I got out of it a little bit, but I was very... It's only about 12 at the time, so... Hopefully the statute, of the statute of limitations is over by now. Well, at least we've been able to perpetuate that story on This Is Your Sporting Life. When we come back on the other side of the break, Pickers, I'll talk about your other two great lives, football and cricket, and you succeeded in both. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. Liam Pickering is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives every day of the year. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And delighted to have Liam Pickering as my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Pickers, I mentioned before the break, we're going to talk footy, we're going to talk cricket. Which is your first love? <laughs> oh, look, it's, it is a, it's a toss of the coin. I mean, I love cricket. I really do. And I came to Melbourne originally to play cricket, but... I mean, when you work in the industry and I've been in it for so, involved in it for so long at that level, you know, since 1988, um, so it's coming up 30 years since I've been involved in the game um, at, at the AFL, VFL level. Now, it's probably, you'd have to say, slightly in front footy, uh, but I'm, I love cricket. I could watch cricket all night, especially if the Aussies are playing. Those who know say that had you been able to devote as much time to cricket as you did to football, that you would have been... A serious player. Would you go along with that in all modesty? Oh, I don't know about that, but I enjoyed playing. I, it did make it hard because I was, I was playing footy and I wasn't doing much training with cricket, but I love the competitiveness of Premier League cricket. Um, I, I felt as a kid I was a better f- cricketer by a mile than a footballer. I did. The only one that actually didn't think that was my old man. So, I don't know. I got the opportunity uh, to come to Melbourne, uh, firstly to play cricket at Carlton, uh, Johnny Douglas, who was a great player for Victoria, mm-hmm. he got me down and uh, I played a couple of seasons in the seconds and thirds. One when I was living in store and Dad was driving me down and then the second year I moved to Melbourne and then out of that blue I got a phone call from uh, North Melbourne saying we want you to come and I had played a couple of trial games with them but come and do pre-season with the under-19s while I was still playing footy in the seniors at Stall. So uh, trained that whole 87 season and then was lucky enough to get drafted So by North who was a team I loved growing up. So in answer to your question, yeah, I probably lean towards footy, but just slightly. If it was a percentage, 51% footy, yeah. 49% cricket. So the next step from Premier League is playing for your state, and you were very close to playing for Victoria. 
Do you yeah. blame Dean Jones for that? No, I've said this to Dean before. Yeah, I, I actually, I don't blame him. But <laughs> no. we'd had, uh, I was in the state squad in uh, 92, 93. So I'd got the flick from North Melbourne in the footy. And before all this, I was in the state squad and uh, before Geelong came into the picture. And yeah, in the trial games, I'd, I'd play quite well. I'd top scored in one of the games and I was got 40 odd in the other game, not out. So I actually performed pretty well and to the stage where, They'd indicated, this chairman of Slickers, John Grant, had indicated to me after I'd top scored in the game up at, um, I don't even know where it was, Mildura or somewhere, or Cobram or somewhere. It was a Victoria with Dean Jones 11 versus Merv Hughes 11, or Simon O'Donnell 11, I should say. And I top scored in that game. So uh, he told me that day that I'd probably play the first Shield game. And lo and behold, Dino gets dropped from the Australian team. So that spot disappears. <laughs> well, that way, that's, that's what happens. Yeah. Um, did you not at one stage have uh, t- some time in the middle with one Ricky Ponting? Yeah, I was lucky enough. That was that season. So when you're in the squads like that, um, we were lucky enough that I got a phone call out of the blue from Rod Marsh, who I'm thinking, who is this really? Seriously, Rod Marsh? And he wanted myself and Simon Cook, who played a few tests for Australia, to come up and play with the AIS against uh, the combined ACT team at Monica. And so I went up there with Cookie and didn't know the rest of the team at all, didn't know any of the ACT team. And they were all senior teams, but most of the... Most of the, um, the academy were just kids. Ricky was in the side. Ricky was only 16, I think. Deven, Michael DiVenuto was in the side. Uh, Blocker Wilson, big Paul Wilson, mm. the umpire, was in the side. We had a, we had a good team, uh, myself and Cookie and whatever. And uh, Anyway, so I ended up batting, I think, number four um, for the AIS. And Punter came in at number five. And first time I saw him, I thought, wow, this guy, is he something special? You knew straight away. Oh, not to. It was funny because in the first innings, I got 70-odd, and punter got knocked over. They had this West Indian bloke playing for them, and he was pretty sharp. And he bowled punter a bouncer, and it got a bit high on him, and he got caught. And he gave punter a send-off. He was a kid. And punter <laughs> just had that look down at the other end, and this filthy look on his face, and stormed off. Anyway, so the same thing happens in the second innings. I'm in already. Punter comes in. Same bloke bowling. First ball he drops short, punter goes whack, <laughs> straight to the fence, and he ended up getting, I always laugh, but I said, him and I put on 100 in about an hour, and he, until he threw it away, is what I say. Yeah. But um, he, he made, I think he made 49 or 50, 49 I think he got, uh, but he was only a kid. I think he debuted for Tassie, might have even been the following week. Yeah. Like, he was such a talent, and you could see it. Steven Udo missed out. I think he got a first baller, and I reckon he, he might have got a half a dozen. But then just watch these guys go on. I knew Cookie. I knew Troy Corbett. He was in the AOS as well. He played for the Vicks. So I knew a few of the boys. But I hit it off with punter pretty much straight away because I liked to punt, and he was sitting in the team bus basically betting on the, everything that went around. So him and I sort of hit it off pretty well straight away. And not that I've seen, ever, seen much of him ever since, but, um, yeah, you could tell then how good he was going to be. It's a good thing you've got rid of that love of the punt because you never have a form guide or anything of the footy when we're together. No, well, no, I do not. Oh, occasionally we might have a quaddie. Maybe you know just the odd is. one. Yeah. But not as much. I don't like it as much as punt. I certainly don't like the greyhounds like punter does. But, uh, yeah, that was a great experience. And Monica Oval, I mean, I know it's called something else now, but they've got that MCG scoreboard, the, yeah. the old MCG scoreboard. It was a fabulous ground to play on. And I, was, I feel very fortunate to be able to – when I get – you know, Hutchie's always putting it on me about whatever and about everything. And I always say, look, there's a scorebook, mate. Me and Ponning, we put on 100 yeah. till he threw it away. So it's, it's good fun to just have a bit of banner with the boys. That Jack Fingleton scoreboard you're yeah, talking that's about, Monica yeah. I, I haven't done much cricket in my time because Channel 9, obviously, have done a lot of cricket in the ABC. But one of the cricket matches I did call was at Monica Oval. It was a Prime Minister's 11 match. Oh, yeah, C7 yeah. in the old days. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And uh, Kerry O'Keefe and I were sitting up there and we were joined by John Winston Howard, who was the Prime Minister at the time. And boy, does he love his cricket. He loves it. He's he a could, tragic. He, he couldn't play. We've all remember that leg spinner yes. he tried to bowl, but gee, he, he genuinely loves it compared to some of our guys now that there's politicians since have no interest in cricket. They pretend they do, but uh, yeah, John Howard definitely loved his cricket. All right, on to footy. Um, you talked about your beginnings at Storr. How did a boy from Storr find his way to the AFL? Uh, pretty lucky, to be honest. I, I felt I was. As I said earlier, I, I don't think I didn't think I was good enough. You know, I thought I was a bit slow and whatever. I was playing key positions in store. I was playing centre-half forward. And I'm only 184 centimetres. So uh, did that pre-season with North Melbourne, then trained with Melbourne in 87 when they had to beat Bulldogs in the last game of the year. 
to beat uh, to make the finals, Robbie Flowers last year. So I went was invited down to training by Cameron Schwab. And Jeff Allardyce, he's a great mate of mine, who's the ICC umpire's boss at the moment, but he was a great player for uh, university and, and Victorian cricket, but also was on Melbourne. So he looked after me that night, but Swoop and Norley had, the, t- had the, f- the Melbourne boys flying and whatnot, and I was lucky enough to get there, but he stopped training halfway through and basically kicked the rest of us off and left the senior team out there because we were stuffing up training. <laughs> so I, going into that draft, I actually thought, I knew North were keen, but I thought Melbourne were keener. And then, of course, I don't have the draft like it is now. I happened to be seeing a news update, and I could see a whiteboard behind the guy reading the news, and I reckon I saw my name in, in North Melbourne's column. And that's how I, f- I found out, the ne- I think it was that night or the next day, that they'd picked me up. So ended up going through that. There's no father-son. The old man played for North Melbourne in the 60s with you know, Mickey Aylett and, and, and uh, Laurie Dwyer and Johnny Dugdale and those guys. How many games did he play? He only played six. He played for two seasons, but went back and dominated the Bushes. I kept saying to him, because that's why I think he was so keen for me to continue, because he knew he left at 19 and they didn't want him to leave. And Anyway, he regretted it the rest of his life. But um, So he, he always encouraged me to stick at it. And, and so I ended up at North and came through at a time where they still had the Cracker Brothers and, and Shimmerers uh, had just retired. And then you had uh, Johnny Law was the captain. But we came through at a, yeah, the same crew, basically, as Swatter, Wayne Swass, Johnny Longmire, you know, Duck was the next year, but um, Anthony Rock, Jose Ramiro, and then yeah, they were they were all the guys that we came from. Mick Martin, we all came through the same time, and then they already had that middle group of Rossi Smith and Matty Larkin and Peter German and Spargs and you know Darren Steele, and then the older blokes. So we were able to start all together. And as the next couple of years, you know, Anthony Stevens came, and then yeah, you know, the Duck came, and then Archie came, and yeah, ended up developing great relationships. So I ended up at the team that I barracked for. Idolised North growing up. My heroes were Blighty and Caves and Denchy and Chimmer and all them. So it was great to get an opportunity to play there. I just didn't play a lot of footy, unfortunately, over the five years I was there. So then Geelong beckoned, and you would think that you would be swapped for a pretty decent draft pick, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would think so, but in the end, we went for... Uh, until last year, Reese Palmer's actually got the record now. We were the lowest or the worst ever draft pick. What so number? It was 120 something. 123, I think it was. 123. They <laughs> traded, North Melbourne traded myself, Lee Tudor, and Darren Steele for pick 123. That's how much they rated us. Uh, so, anyway, we ended up there. We didn't care. We, we were wrapped at Geelong Wanderers. They just played in the grand final in 92, and I couldn't get a game for North Melbourne. Neither could Lurker. Uh, Steely was getting a game. But we couldn't get a game for the team that finished eighth or ninth or tenth. We were really in the top six back then. Mm. And uh, but Geelong, Malcolm Blight got me down and said we're going to play in the midfield. I couldn't believe it. And you finished up playing in two grand finals. Tell us the story about your first grand final. I've asked you about this many times. We who love football can only imagine what it's like, the atmosphere and the build-up and the nervous tension. What yeah. was it like for you? Well, it was exactly that. And, you know, we'd, we'd won the prelim after the siren. You'll remember it. Ablett took a mark. Lee Tudor centred the ball. And poor old Mick Martin went over his head. And Is that the best game you've ever played in? Oh, absolutely. It was an unbelievable game to play in. It was a great day. It was a big crowd. Kerry was on fire. It was a it was a seesawing match. But trust me, if you've never seen it, if you get a look at the '94 prelim, Geelong and North Melbourne. So against our old team, we finally get there after the siren. We couldn't be happier, Lee Tudor and I. We driven to the ground together, and then it's built up to the ground, for which you've dreamed on your whole life. Now I'm I wasn't the best of sleepers at the best of time. I'm not a great sleeper as it is even now. Uh, probably worse with cricket, but footy early days I was shockingly nervous. So I reckon I watched six or seven games of the grand final marathon the night before. So the grand final parade was just out of this world. I couldn't believe what it was like. 100,000 people down the street in Swanson Street was super. And then followed by uh, the the lack of sleep the night before. So you get there and you're that excited about it. And it's all different because we go along as as spectators now, and you've done 100 of them. You go along and you see all the entertainment. You don't see any of that when you play it because there was no warm-ups yeah. like as you were doing the warm-up in the room so you go in the rooms an hour before the game an hour and a half and it's just a dungeon and the only difference is they had a few streamers up around the around the place that was about it at least they didn't have Happy Hammond like well no, not to, back in the 60s the like they did yeah. <laughs> and then so then by the time you hit the hit the deck and 100,000 people roaring and you sit there for the national anthem we stand there for the national anthem it's game on and I spent the first 15 minutes of the first quarter running around I started on the half forward flank running around Around like a dog chasing a bull. And I remember in the middle of the ground thinking, what the hell are you doing? I was stuffed. 
Call it probably 10 minutes it was. I hadn't had a touch. I didn't look like getting a touch. I was running where the ball had been. And it was in the end, it's like, hang on, wake up yourself. It's a game of footy. So I started to work my way into it after that. And, um, yeah, it was a horrible result for the Cats. That was clearly the better side. We were lucky to get there, really. North would have probably done a better job on grand final, to be honest. And then the year after you play in the grand final as well, and that was also a comprehensive defeat. But you had a good day in the grand final the following year. Well, I was much better. To, I was much better prepared for a start for the whole week and it was a year after and you know I was a more experienced player and a lot more confident in myself in the team in 95 and yeah I, I got a bit of the ball it was just to no avail of course because we, we were just horrible on the day we could play that game a hundred more times I'd never beaten us by 10 goals again we'd played them once during the year and at Optus Oval and um, I'd played on I think on Diesel and we used to play on Diesel quite a bit and they beat us by six points. It was a cracking game of home and away footy. We get there on the day, and it was like we took our heads off and put pumpkins there and ran out. Like we just made stupid mistakes, you know, undisciplined, gave away a heap of freeze, just set the wheels in motion, and take nothing away from Carlton. They were super. But, gee, we were poor on the day. I dare say you get together a bit with the blokes you played in those two grand finals with, but you'll never have that bond that everybody talks about of being a premiership player. Does that stick in your guts? Uh, it does, yeah. I mean... If you look back now, the best two teams in 94 and 95 won, Carlton. We were the second best team in 95. 94, we were probably arguably the third or fourth best team. But, yeah, it does. I mean, because you see these guys. I bump into the, the Carlton boys and you can see how tight they are. And, we, you know, Hutchie last, we have runners-up reunions. We don't. We get together because we're mates. And there's a crew of us that get together. Um, I, I was more disappointed, to be honest, looking back now on, on the 97, the way we went out in 1997, because... Yeah, we lost to North Melbourne on a wet night. Yeah, we were second versus seventh. And we copped North Melbourne under lights and Kerry on fire. And then they sent us to Adelaide for a knockout final against the Crows, who, you know, finished about fifth. And they got us by eight points in a controversial game, that Lee Colbert mark game. So yeah. I was probably, I thought that was probably our best chance. It was a really even season. Thought we had St Kilda's measure. I thought we could cover the Bulldogs. They were pretty good as well. And no one saw the Crows coming. When it all came to an end, after you played your last game, did it feel like it had just gone in a heartbeat? Yeah, it did. Um, because I, and I said this when I spoke to the players when I was announced my retirement, because I, it got cut short my last year because I had a hip and I had to have a hip replacement and whatever. But I'd never had a hip problem, but I just couldn't walk after one game, which was weird. But uh, I said to him, John Kennedy said to us all when we were young, and you don't think about it too much until you get to the end, is it's later than you think. And for me, that was it couldn't have been more true. It was just felt like you blink and it's over. And I played 13 seasons. So uh, at two clubs, so the five years felt like five years at North Melbourne, but the years at Geelong until the last two when I had a lot of injuries, uh, just flew. And then came another career, and I'm going to talk to you about that on the other side of the break. Might even mention a bloke called Gary Ablett, might even mention a bloke called Buddy Franklin when we come back on the other side of the break with Liam Pickering, my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals. You can find out more at tobinbrothers.com.au or call 93737000 for more information. More with Pickers after the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And Liam Pickering is my special guest on this edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We spoke, to, spoke about your management career at the start of the program, Pickers. A couple of deals, though, that are very well documented. And we now know that Gary, young Gary, is back at Geelong. You always said that senior Gary was the best player you played against. Best player ever saw. Yeah, yeah. I still, I still to this day think he's the most talented footballer I've ever seen. Yeah. What about the deal for young Gary? And it's been there's been a lot of speculation when he went from Geelong to the Gold Coast, and then a lot of speculation when he came back. We sat there every week trying to get something out of you. Is it difficult when you're trying to handle those two roles of being a media commentator and yet you sit in with the likes of us who are trying to pick your brains every time you come into the box? Yeah, it is. I mean, but it's what you do. And I enjoy, I love doing radio. I enjoy doing the stuff with you guys. And I understand that's part of it. So you're going to ask the question, but I, know, I think you guys all appreciate it that sometimes you just, just can't give the information. And I'll never give out information on players. It's just not the way I operate. But um, that's just part of it. So. Yeah, it was difficult the whole year. The buddy one we'll get to, I'm sure, but that was probably the... I had more enjoyment out of Hutchie not having a clue about it, given he sat opposite <laughs> me all year and he had no idea he was going to the Swans, which I thought was brilliant. But um, the Gary one was... It was probably a couple of years in the making. Gary had signed a five-year deal with his previous agent, um, which locked him in. 
and locked him in for not bad money when he was a kid, probably. But I took him over with two or three years to go, and he was a bit. He became the best player in the game, and he wasn't even. He'd be about the fifth highest paid player at Geelong, so it didn't make any sense. Unfortunately, the cats were about to go on an era, so I kept asking the cats to let's redo his deal. We'll redo it and extend him. You got to redo the current deal, but. They would have to lose a couple of players or a player, so they just weren't prepared to do it, which meant it left the door open. And at this stage, no one saw, no one saw the new team coming in. Like you know, when, when we when I was first talking about it, then when the Gold Coast came in, the first port of call was to have a chat about Gary. What about the deal now that's seen him return to Geelong? We were talking all the way through the season as though we all knew what was going on when we didn't, but everyone had this idea that it was a fait accompli. Yeah, they did, and it wasn't that at all because uh, the trade ended up getting done with about 45 minutes to go, and it wasn't just posturing. There was genuinely, they weren't going to trade him, which was, I thought, ludicrous. He had a year to go on a contract. He'd, he'd foregone a lot of money to, to do that and to help the Gold Coast out, money that was his, to actually go back and, and be with his family, and that, that's what it was. And he had, obviously, some tragedy in his family life you know, not long before. So, you know, in the end... The club, to their credit, the Gold Coast, did a deal with Geelong. Uh, the Cats, thanks to Stephen Wells and, and to Chris Scott and to Steve Hocking at the time, you know, they were at him all along that, that, that they wanted him. Uh, I probably got a bit more nervous on the day than Wellsy did, I must say, um, because he's a pretty calm, collected guy. But, you know, when it comes to the last hour, and they're both... They've got other things going on too. Scotty Clayton's a great mate of mine, but he had other things going on with his deals with Fremantle. So it did come down to the wire. And So did you really feel as though on the day there was a chance it may not get done? Absolutely I did. Yeah, absolutely. I thought this can't happen surely because I just didn't think it would be fair. You know, he's going he's given, he's to give up the money anyway. The Gold Coast can use it, uh, the, the cap money, the cap space. But also, I didn't think it was fair given, you know, what he'd been through. So, um, in the end, it was great. I appreciate what Scotty did and, and Mark Evans and the like. And, and the Suns, for that matter. He gave them seven years of great service. Had a bit of injury at the end. But, you know, they, they pinned their whole club on him for the first five years. Football's a great industry, but it leaks like a sieve. And perhaps politics is the only industry that leaks even more. How did you keep... The buddy deal, silent. Yeah, that was uh, that was hard work because that was tw- a good twelve months of discussing it and and going through it with Bart and the whole way through. To be to be fair, Pete, and I've said this before that I thought that the weak link in, in the chain would have been Bud, and I don't mean that in a, in a you know detrimental or a disrespectful way to Bud, but so he was the one most likely to blab. I Is thought, that what you're well, not to, no, not to blab to change his mind. Okay. So hence why we didn't get the off from Sydney until the middle of the finals. Mm. Like the actual written off, uh, this is what it is. I had an understanding of what it might be, but we hadn't got it. And when that happened, then the offer came, but hadn't he had not uh, wavered at all from the whole year. Because I thought what would happen is when he first was, idea would sound like it was great, you know, they're keen, you know, we talk about the money, but I thought halfway through the year, Bud's going to think, no way. I've, I can't leave Ruffy. I can't leave Louie. You know, I, I, and that's what I said. I, I was up front of the Swans. I said, that's all well and good, but I just have a feeling Bud's lauded to his mates, but his drive to would be the one that would, would stop, you know, potentially us having a crack at that on his behalf. But uh, he never he never wavered. He, he was adamant. He was moving to Sydney. He wanted to get out of Melbourne, wanted to get out of the Melbourne bubble, and he did. Um, and he was a free agent. So... You know, I know Hawthorne supporters, and I know a lot of Hawthorne people I know that they're blaming, they're blaming me or they're having a go about it, but he was a free agent. He was a restricted free agent. The Hawks had the money in front of him. This is what he's getting paid. Match the deal. If they match the deal, he would be still at Hawthorne. But they chose not to. They won the next two flags, uh, and Bud's enjoying him, and he's been terrific at uh, the Swans. We've already talked about the difficulties of keeping everything mum. Was there one particular instance where you almost let the cat out of the bag? Yeah, there was, and it was an accident because we were talking about GWS, and I accidentally said Sydney. I was doing an interview with um, the Run Home Boys, and but I wasn't think I was actually thinking about GWS because I hadn't got the offer from Sydney at that stage. But I don't know why Sydney came out of my mouth, and when it happened, of course, some caller because they're great to listeners. They 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 rung through and remembered the time, and they dug through and found the audio, which. 
it, you look back now and you think it is quite funny, but um, but anyway, it was one of those things where yeah, where it was a slip of the tongue, but it didn't actually have anything sinister in it because I was actually thinking about the Giants. I just happened to say Sydney. Last word on the Buddy deal, Pickers. Did you cop any heat from the AFL? Because there's not much doubt the AFL would have preferred that he went to GWS because he would have been the marquee player that they were after at the time. I didn't personally cop any flag to me. Uh, but I know that Mike Fitzpatrick gave Richard Collis an ear bashing, uh, and then Gil McLaughlin gave Andrew Island a massive ear bashing. They didn't do anything wrong, the Swans. They worked within the rules that were set up. He's a free agent. Uh, there was a lot of heat coming on from the from the GWS camp, the CEO in particular, because they thought they had him. Never once did he was going there. So, you know, they they can rewrite history if they like. I never once told him he was definitely going there. Uh, so there was a bit of pressure for that because they wanted to get him to the Giants. And I understand that. And, um, you know, and it had to be a quite – like, we had to keep that deal. There's no way it would have been – it wouldn't have proceeded. If they, and I've said this a hundred times. If the way they carried on and made every board member, before they ticked the deal off, and it was a dead set all-in-the-cap deal. It was, it was the biggest no-brainer of all time. Every board member at the Swans had to sign a letter to say that the money stays in the cap – before they did it, we got in, there was an investigation that went on. So they dragged me in, Andrew, Kinnear, Buddy, um, and just asked the questions about how the deal got put together. I felt for Kinnear Beatson because he didn't have anything to, to do with the actual negotiating of it. It was really Andrew Owen, uh, myself, and, and Dean Moore, really. Oh, John knew about it, but he wasn't involved in the, neg- in the negotiation. And so it was really Andrew and I mainly. Uh, and Richard Collis didn't even tell the other board members. So he knew. Because I said, if you tell the rest of the board, they leak like sips, as we know. Mm. You've got to to make the call. The captains knew. So Adam Goods, I think Goodsy was still playing, but definitely Jared McVeigh was across it. But that was about it. Bud's family and and James, the ex-business partner, carried on like a pork chop about not knowing. I kept it secret from him. I wonder why. He would have blabbed. He would have told Mark Robinson. That would have been the end of it. So I had to uh, keep it in a very, very tight group. Until, as I said, in the end, the, the, the offer didn't finally come through officially in writing until the middle of the finals anyway. The season was over two weeks later. I think I'm right in saying you were Clarko's manager at the time. Yeah, And yeah. you were Horses, John Longmire's manager at the time. Which was tricky. Yeah. So did that cause you to rethink about whether you needed to be managing coaches as well as players? Um, it, would, it did, because it, it made it... Like Clarko and I are great mates. Horse and I are best mates, you know. I mean, I was best man at his wedding and he was the same. But it's interesting because we've all been friends since we were kids together at North Melbourne, which I talked about earlier. Uh, it was a tricky one because I've had Clarko as a client before... I had Buddy as a client and before I had Horse as a client. Um, and it was great to be part of the journey with Alistair from the from the time he got he first approached all the way through. But Clarko, in the end, we sat down for an hour, and it was a pretty frank discussion. But I just told him exactly the chain of, of events. This is exactly how it went down, and he was respectful of it. But did say that make the call. We ever to make the did make the comment that you'll have to make the call on whether you want to manage coaches or players. And I said, well, it's a pretty basic, easy call for me. I've got fifty players, two coaches who. I charge him not much anyway, um, just a very small percentage. And I said, so it's an easy one. But we've kept kept our friendship. There's no question about that. Um, but we haven't got the working relationship anymore. But we still speak and we still I still throw him a few things every now and then. And if we catch up, yeah, he's a great bloke. Just one last thing on your management of players. You've had some great players. We've spoken about a couple of them in, in Gary and Buddy. You've had some great characters. And you had a combination of both great player and a character in Swanee. Yeah. Is, is he one of the more unique characters that you've dealt with, Dane Swan? He is. He's unique because, you know, I mean, Swanee, Swanee, he's, he's what you see is what you get. Uh, he's got the tattoos. Uh, he has probably been one of the easiest clients I've ever managed. I know people will find that surprising. Yeah, he's had a few little blah, blah, little issues along the way, but he is a genuinely good person. He's as loyal as an old dog. He's been a fantastic client. And he never lets you down. Like, he's never... If he says he's going to an appearance, I don't have to follow him up. He'll be there. Like, he's very reliable, Dane. So, yeah, I love him. I just think he's a ripper. I've got a great relationship with his, his mum and dad, in particular, Billy. Um, Billy Swan, who you know from the VFA yeah. days, was a legend. Champion. Um, and, yeah, so, I mean, he's been one of my favourite ever clients to manage because 
yeah, we've had some battles over some issues and whatever. Not him and I, but dealing with Eddie and all that crew at Collingwood. When he's, yeah, you know, there's been a few little issues, but overall, he's still a client. He's been in the jungle. We're still managing him, and we still catch up regularly. Did you do the deal to get him into the jungle? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yep. Um, yeah, it was a lot of paperwork yet to fill in to go in there. And I said to him, geez, what you, seriously, can you help me out with this? He said, hey, you'll get, you'll get a percentage of this. You can do the paperwork. Fill it in. I said, right, But he was terrific in there, as you'd expect. Because, um, as I said, people love him. And people that meet him and hear him speak, uh, yeah, it's a pretty straight-to-the-point sort of scenario. But... Yeah, he's just a, a hell of a nice bloke. Well, at times you had your hands full, but nothing like uh, the career in the media. And in our final segment, I want to talk about a few things in the media. In particular, I want to remind you about one day in the MCG commentary box where you spilled a drink <laughs> and it caused some mayhem. We'll talk more about that when we come back on the other side of the break with Liam Pickering on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, Celebrating Lives. Listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donigan. Our final segment with Liam Pickering. Pick, as I mentioned before the break, um, you've spent a lot of time, we've spent a lot of time in commentary boxes together and radio with AFL Live and AFL Nation as it is now, and it's been really enjoyable over the last few years. It has. I, I've loved it. I mean, I, I really I really enjoy radio. I really do. It's a great format. We've got a good team. We've always had a good team, but um, a few more people might be hearing us this year, Pete, which is even better. Yes, uh, on this very radio station, SEN, so we look forward to that association. And part of the team that we've had over the years has been the legendary Rex Hunt. How was it to call with Rex? Oh, it was a great experience. I mean, Rex is a legend of broadcasting, as we know. Uh, he's, a, he's a different cat. Uh, when he's on, he's really good. Uh, he's brilliant. But there were some challenges for Rexy in some of the games that we did, and we didn't always get the Carlton Collingwood. We didn't always get the blockbusters. But one thing about Rex, and it's hard when we had these new teams in. I mean, God Almighty, it'd be hard. It's hard enough for you. Uh, but Rex to turn, you know, to come in and. But when it was a big game and you saw him walking with his suit on, you knew he was on on the job and. Yeah, he was still a brilliant call, no doubt about that. I think he's actually going to call one game this year, uh, I think I heard him say. Oh, uh, good. So a farewell game. And uh, the last two games that I had the opportunity of calling with him for AFL Live, as it was then, was that GWS Western Bulldogs prelim yep. up at Spotless, which was what magnificent. What a game, what a game, yep. And then the Bulldogs winning the premiership. Yeah. Uh, so Not a bad way for Rexy to finish off, was it? Yeah, well, it was better than the day that you were sitting behind <laughs> him at the MCG. And to just paint the picture for you, the commentators, the play-by-play callers sit down the front and the special comments guys sit behind us with a little ledge there for all your paperwork and your research and your drinks. What happened that day, Piggis? Yeah, well, it was about to start the game, and and Dr. Turf had a horse in, and we were all watching it, and the, the player hadn't started, and Rex is getting into position to call and, and whatnot, and I got a bit overexcited because Doc's horse started to make a bit of a run. I think it was actually, uh, I can't think of what it was called, great, Ungrateful Ellen or whatever. And I accidentally hit my f- full-to-the-brim soda water. Mm. I had a cup, you know, a plastic cup with soda water and ice, full-to-the-brim, and it and I'm sitting right behind Rex, and you had, I think it was maybe Plough or someone sitting behind you. It might have been Nicky Dell. And I knocked it, and I watched it. was like in slow motion. Rex is leaning forward, just getting himself prepared to call the first opening bounce. And it went down like in slow motion, and it went straight into his backside, down his strides, covered him. Like, went right, it couldn't have missed. It was like it was a 50-cent coin going into a coin slot. Straight into his bum cheek, and away it went. And... Oh, well, the carry-on. The carry-on. So What th- happened? Well, it was a full drink, as I said, and yeah. he was covered. It was only soda water, thankfully. If it was a coffee or something, it would have been... God only knows what would have happened, but... So that's bad enough, but the it's aftermath... It's bad enough, and so that's fine. Rex carries on, as Rex does. Next thing I look around, he's taking his pants off. He's hanging them up to dry. Now, picture this. The commentator's boxes, you can see through them. So you've got Triple M, Us, ABC, 3AW, oh, what, all in a row, K-Rock. We're in the middle. We're right next to the Triple M crew, which was Gary and, and JB and all those blokes at the time. Rexy stands up. He's now got his white wife fronts on. Quite baggy, too. Very baggy. Not a great look. And Rex proceeds to call the first half in his underpants. Yes, 
And not only that, he had it with uh, his right leg cocked up about two feet away from his left ankle. One good. Which uh, presented to his co-commentator, me, a very difficult image to burn from my mind. I I don't think there's ever been a harder job in broadcasting than you sitting there next to old mate and his his wife fronts. Seriously. It was... I'll tell you what, he didn't let me forget it either. Didn't no. I nearly got you one day too. I've got to be a bit careful because I, the drinks go on the edge. Yes, you're a spiller. I'm a bit of a spiller, and I never knew I was because I nearly got you, and it missed you by. It wasn't long after. I thought, well, I'm glad it would have been happier to have got you than Rex because Rex didn't let me uh, get away with it. He let the whole world know that I'd done that to him. We've had some fun behind the scenes, and we've seen some brilliant games of football. And I don't think, as we close our chat today, that we can ever be in a position where we get blasé about the fact that we are in a privileged position, and we love doing what. We're doing, and we're so lucky to be able to do it. Oh, and absolutely, Don. Is it? You know, and I didn't know you that well before I started calling with you five or six, seven years ago, whenever it was. Um, we got a ripping team. Like it's a, it's a great, cool team. Everyone gets along well. No, no egos, which is surprising, uh, in a in a commentary sense. But that's been the beauty of what we've been able to, to do over the last few years. But you're right, we're we're lucky. I mean, people, you know, you never have to worry about a ticket because we've got our media pass. We get in everywhere. Um, so I feel very fortunate. And, you know, and Hutch has given us a great opportunity. And as much as I'd take the uh, mickey out of the big man, he's he's been fantastic for all of us, really. So really looking forward to a big year this year with, uh, with AFL Nation. And one last thing. You mentioned Hutchie, and you've got a great partnership and you're great mates and great sparring partners. But... Um there was a legal issue between the two of you at one stage, and it doesn't seem to have affected your friendship. That goes back a little while, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It was when uh, it was years ago when he was working for Channel 7, I reckon, at the time, and he broke the story about the Lee Montagna and Joe... Um, sorry, the... Uh, what's his name? Am I going? Stevie Milne. Yes. Sorry, we'll have to tighten that up. <laughs> Stevie <laughs> Milne and Joe Montagna and that, uh, you know, that unfortunate incident that happened, and Hutchie broke the news that it was Cozzy, who was my client, and he, I warned him. I said, Don't, I haven't spoken to him, so I can't give you a comment. I hadn't been able to get onto the club. And he went with it anyway. And immediately, once St Kilda heard that, they put a release out saying the players being looked at at Lee Montagna and, and uh, also um, Stephen Milne. Uh, so then, of course, I went nuts at Hutchie, as, as I already had. And, yeah, so we ch- sued him, basically. Hutchie, and Cosie got a bit of a payout, and so he should have. So, But it he, hasn't affected no, your relationship. No, well, I, I remember it was a, next time I'd seen him was probably three or four weeks later, maybe a month, two months later. And I was at a pub with Barry Stoneham and, and Johnny Longmire having a beer. And he walked in and he said, oh, oh good idea. Yeah, I see you saw me. See, that's right. He said, all right. Do you want a beer? I said, yeah, fine. That was it. We we're away, so I always let him. I never let him forget. That's what happened. But um, that wasn't a very nice thing to be involved in, especially for Cosy. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't actually my issue. It was my client, and you know he knows. It was. He always says he openly says it's the worst mistake he's ever made, and he hasn't made that many. Over the years, the big man. And it's part of the reason uh, that his influence um, has uh, come to the fore that we're going to be on this radio station throughout the year calling footy. Pickers, I can't wait. It's always fun. Yeah, good on you, Donners. Appreciate your time this morning. Liam Pickering joining us on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And we'll be back same time next week right here on 1116 SEN, Melbourne's home of sport. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.